another edition of Flea Market Fantasy, the world's second greatest Bronze Age era comic book podcast. Joining me as always is new Mike L. Kevin Jank. Hey, I'm here. That's it? That's all I got. <laughs> this issue took so much out of me. There were so many pages that by the time it was over, I was just spent. <laughs> I don't know. I could it is no a double-sized issue. That was my special gift for Jank, because today is his birthday. Yeah. So everyone wish Jank a happy birthday. Good thing I started reading this book early, because there's this is so long. <laughs> Maybe we'll have uh, Aquaman bring you some Twinkies. For your birthday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> but today, Thanks, man, sorry your movie's gonna tank. <laughs> great guppies. That movie's terrible. <laughs> All right, but anyway, today we are reading Uncanny X Men issue 166 from 1982, I believe. And, yeah. and this is uh, right towards the tail end of their big brood saga that they had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the climax, but then I guess it continues on a little bit in the next issue. <laughs> there's a kind yeah, of there's a little an after big. There's a big yeah. thing that happens next issue. Yeah. Remember at the end of last week's show, I'm like, did Professor? I thought Professor Xavier might have died during this issue. Now, technically, he kind of dies not even in this issue. Yeah, yeah, he kind of <laughs> dies in the next issue, but he doesn't really die. He they have to give him a new yeah. body though. <laughs> Yeah, the brood are like, apparently it's very dangerous when you're infected with one, except they've got a 100% chance of living. <laughs> Nobody ever actually seems to die. At least not if you're an important character. <laughs> There's always a new body or something for you. There's always something. Always <laughs> something. But anyway, uh, we'll get to that. The creators here, of course, are Chris Claremont and uh, the great Paul Smith. This is during yeah. his uh, run on X-Men. We'll talk about him later. But... Uh, pretty uh, iconic running high there for the X-Men. So, But before we get into all that, let's remind everybody, not only is it Jank's birthday, but please, if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe. It would be the best gift you could give to Jank. It's true. <laughs> it might put hair back in my head. We'll see. <laughs> We're up to 131 subscribers. I think we picked up a one this week. So, yeah. Oh, slow week. <laughs> Every little bit counts. <laughs> And uh well, but yeah, I think please pick up more if you would have put in the part where in the uh the thumbnail where Batman was swearing off his parents. That kind of got <laughs> yeah. out. I did. I did kind of cover. I thought it was better to cover that and just so we could see Huntress's little head peeking up. And also it looks like Batman is yelling at the flea market fantasy logo. <laughs> ah, it should be the way you keep trying to keep him down. <laughs> it keeps him off the show. He's very <laughs> angry. But anyway, yeah, please uh, like and subscribe over there on the YouTubes. But all right, uh, Uncanny X-Men 166. Now, I was an X-Men kid, Jank. Uh, that's who I read when I – well, Spider-Man, I was wee little. And then mm-hmm. when I was about uh, 12, 13-ish, I found the X-Men, and oh, my world changed. So, like, probably <laughs> yeah. from 11 to 13, my life was nothing but the X-Men. <laughs> and a very small window, but it's sure yeah. it's an intense window. It's an important – Part of any young boy's life. Like the first, the first issue I got of my regular purchasing of X Men was two oh seven. That one with Wolverine on the cover, John Romita, yeah, uh, Claw covered on the middle. And then, uh, of course, I once you become obsessed with something, I just went back and I bought as many back issues as I could. So mm-hmm. I, I I read these stories back then when I was a kid. Uh, but going back and looking at the X Men run here, like the thir- the night, the one thirties. It was probably like, I don't know if it was peak X-Men, but yeah, Claremont and Byrne. 
Yeah, Dark Phoenix pretty saga. good. Dark Phoenix. Yeah, yep. it's tough to get past that. And then in the 40s, <laughs> the 140s, you had the Days of Future Past, which was mm-hmm. an iconic story. But then in the 50s Only about 60s, two issues, but... Yeah. In the 150s <laughs> and 160s, it got a little weird. It got like yeah. a, a lot of uh, outer space stuff with the Star Jammers. They're yeah, fighting Dracula, uh, Belasco. That I one is kind of bouncing around between ladies. <laughs> like there was some like blonde pilot lady I think he was seeing, yes. and they're like, yeah. yeah, like Lee Forrester, and then like he meets Madeline Pryor, who's just like an exact twin of Jean Grey. He's yeah, in and out of the book. And then you had a lot of brood. Yeah, That's the villain today is the brood. There was a lot of brood. <laughs> so, uh, how do you feel about the X Men being in space and all that kind of stuff? Well, I in theory I like it. <laughs> um, it's definitely <laughs> nice to have them mix it up and not just do the same thing every time. So it's nice to have some space adventures, but uh when you do it too often, it definitely gets old and I don't know. This <laughs> this wasn't exactly as I remembered it. <laughs> I'll say that much. Yeah, I I think the X-Men found their stride again with uh 168 right after this brood ends. Uh that's <laughs> the one where Kitty Prods on the cover. And it opens up with the famous splash page of her saying, Professor Xavier is a jerk. She's pointing at the camera. Uh, I think from that point forward, gold. Everything really picks up. Like and it runs joins. And yeah, they, they start yeah. going to Japan. Storm gets the yes. mohawk. Yep. Yeah, we'll talk about that later, too, when we get into Paul Smith. But uh, so then you get my wheelhouse and then the Ramita run and uh, through Mark Silvestri, I thought was great. And then I kind of I got out of the. Uh, Jim Lee era, I guess I was oh, by that that's point. That's tough. I love the Jim Lee era. That's yeah, that's that's my stuff right there. That and the Joe Matter era, uh, era, which yeah. <laughs> is hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. So yeah, I could have done with a little less space stuff here in the one fifties and one sixties, but you know, eh, I guess it's a change of pace. But man, if you were in that time living it, you know, that's two solid years of just them going into space. <laughs> yeah. That is quite a lot. And then I think even when they came back, it was like they were dealing with space stuff in like yes. San Francisco and there's like all <laughs> Spider Woman and stuff. Like, I'm not reading this for Spider Woman. I want some X Men. Yeah. Do an yeah. X Men thing. So the, the point of all that is to say this is not my favorite era of the X Men. But a couple months after this, although it is like Paul Smith, though, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but what, he just started here. Uh, 165 was his first issue. The 166, boom. This is the second issue. When I think Paul Smith and the X-Men, I really think Wolverine in Japan. Yeah. 70, 172, yep. 173. Morlocks, all that stuff, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, getting to this, though. The Brood, their first appearance was in X-Men, one, Uncanny X-Men 155. And, again, they started to be officially called Uncanny, what, in the 140 somewhere? I think right after days right after the dark yeah the dark phoenix i think days of future past actually i think it was right in there when it happened but uh yeah so yeah uncanny x-men 155 in 1981 that was the brood's first appearance created by chris claremont and dave cockrum and they were originally created just as henchmen for deathbird Mm -hmm. deathbird yeah lalandra's sister that's right and (laughs) but then i guess they're like, eh, these look pretty cool little guys. Let's keep them around. And they they had this big arc for them. And Cockrum based them obviously on Aliens, the Aliens yes. movie. <laughs> Very clearly. It's, 
The uh, the is pretty uncanny. <laughs> yeah, speaking of, <laughs> but yeah, they're just these little like insect reptilian kind of creatures with uh, big heads, and they got little stingers, like two pronged fangs on their tails that they hit yeah. people with. And they try to imp- the queen tries to implant brood uh, eggs inside host bodies, and then the hosts become brood. Yeah, again, very much like the xenomorphs from Alien. Although, I will say this, that this came out in, like, 82, it wasn't until Aliens, the sequel, in, like, 86, that they revealed that there was a queen alien. So, oh. guess, technically, the brood did beat them to that. Um. <laughs> I did not realize that. I just assumed yeah. that everything, because I've never seen any of the no alien, alien queen in the first one, just just the eggs and, you know, the face hugger implants them. And so, yeah, yeah, I guess... They could have copied it from this, but I don't think they did. <laughs> it's just kind of like, these are insects. That's what they do. They have queens. Yeah. <laughs> they all had the same, uh, same idea there. But yeah, a lot of brood in the, uh, 160s of the X-Men. Also in this book, we get binary, mm-hmm. binary, binary, <laughs> whatever you want to say. Uh, Carol Danvers. Yeah. Ms. Marvel. Now, our, her first appearance as binary was Uncanny X-Men 164. In uh, 1982. Not very long before this. Yeah. And the brood are responsible for her being binary. Uh, do you remember how she became binary? Would you like to explain what binary, who binary is? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I think this was basically after she had gotten her memories and power stolen by Rogue, right? Yes, uh, she was powerless. She was kind of flounder. Yeah, she was kind of floundering a little bit, kind of staying with the X-Men. They were trying to help her rebuild her mind like Professor X was kind of helping her out with that um so, and so yeah. i think yeah i guess that's how she ended up in space with them but how it exactly happened i don't remember i know she has absorbed a bunch of solar energy at some point from what i can tell from the various uh readings i did she was at uh, i guess the x-men were having something uh doing for the laundry i don't know they're having a party or something and deathbird oh, showed up baseball games probably <laughs> <laughs> and oh, deathbird she showed up with the brood and they kidnapped Lilandra. Oh. And it was kind of like Deathbird trying to get control of the Empire or whatever, I guess. Yep. I don't know. Always is. <laughs> and in the process, the X-Men and Carol Danvers got caught up in all this and they ended up in space and they were captured, I guess. And uh, the brood were experimenting on Carol Danvers because they sensed that her body had some latent genetic power about it because she used to be Ms. Marvel, you know. So mm-hmm. and apparently they did some experiments on her and it tri- it like amplified that uh genetic ability deep within or something and she somehow absorbed all this cosmic energy and became binary which she basically looks like uh she always reminded me of Nova I guess remember yes. the uh, the Frankie Ray Nova not like the Nova yes. for Nova Yeah 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 Frankie yeah. Ray the Herald of Galactus Nova and mm-hmm. like like she's just a like a lady that's on fire almost like she's re- she has red skin now and she wears like a white and red outfit and her head's kind of like just all looks like flames basically yeah it's uh it's very <laughs> it's kind of chris claremont going back to the well with like he did like with the phoenix like hey let's have you know someone who's kind of associated with the x-men go into space with them and then get magical fire powers from space <laughs> and that's true. I, I didn't even think incredibly that, yeah. powerful <laughs> And save the day. <laughs> we should also mention uh, the reason why Danvers is probably brought in is because of Chris Claremont, because he's the right Ms. Marvel. And huh. and yeah, like he was a big fan. So that's probably why he brought her over here. 
Uh, but yeah, that's binary. She's super powerful. She like shoots cosmic rays and energy and everything and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't think her binary phase lasted too long, did it? I think she it actually did. Back. I think really because she went, uh, she came back with the X Men, and then she kind of cut ties with the X Men when they brought Rogue in, in yeah. issue one seventy one. Because she's like, how can you help her when she ruined my life? And Xavier's like, yeah. oh hey. We don't we don't pick and choose who we help. We have to help everybody, you know. And if she's yeah, repentant, come over and have some Taco Bell with us. Come on, it's fine. <laughs> Rogue says she's sorry. She wants to repent and do good. So we're going to take her in and help her. Storm also had a big issue with it at the time as well. Yeah. And, uh, but so Very Carol Danvers good. cut ties with the X Men. She went back into space and she was with the Star Jammers for a pretty long time. It, she really didn't become like Ms. Marvel again until. The X-Men went through this, what was that called? The Siege Perilous or whatever? Mm-hmm. Because well, I guess what... She must have been... I know she was a big part of Avengers number 200, so whenever that was, she was definitely Miss Marvel again by that point. That was a story all about her. <laughs> and yeah, with the baby and whatnot, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think I think that was, bef- that was before this, though, no? Oh, really? Yeah, because Jim Shooter wrote that, and I... Oh, okay. Wait. Oh, now we've got to Google this. This is the part of the show. <laughs> Where we Google things. Yeah. Um, see. I know things. she has, you know, slipped back into being binary over the years once in a while. I think whenever she gets, you know, absorbs enough energy, she just overloads into binary somehow. So it's not never completely gone away, I think. Yeah, I tried to read up on the history of binary. And it, it's still, it's so convoluted. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Avengers uh, 200 was 1980. So okay. Rogue stole her powers after that. Oh. Yeah, because yeah, I don't think like when they went through the Sa- Siege Perilous and like what was that the fall of the mutants in like two thirty somewhere around there. Two, like, yeah, they they went through it twice technically, or at least. Oh, most okay. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> the first the, yeah, time fall of the mutants, and then the second time where they all kind of got split up. Yeah, well, well, when Rogue went through it, I guess it somehow split Danvers from her. The per- I yes, think? yeah, I remember right? that. Yeah. I don't know. It's yep. all very confusing. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, it's weird, wild stuff. Yeah. But anyway, when, when binary, uh, cut ties with the X-Men, she was with the star jammers for a pretty long time. Yeah. I guess that's probably why I think of it as being a short time. Cause like the star jammers weren't really around that much. So yeah. <laughs> she's just yes. kind of off. <laughs> off yeah. Screen. She wasn't featured prominently anywhere, basically. Yeah. Uh, she was with them. And then I think she left them and went solo for a while, just flying through space on her own. But, uh, yeah, we. Uh, so Carol Danvers, Ms. Marvel didn't come back until much later, though. So yeah. anyway, all right. Orford for a while or something like oh, that. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. I did see that when I was reading <laughs> up on it. Yeah. Also, this book is kind of important because it's the first appearance of a very lovable character. Yeah, that's right. Go ahead, Jack. Tell him. <laughs> Lockheed, the little purple dragon. Yeah. First appearance of Lockheed. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll talk about it, it more later. First appearance. I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't really like Kitty Pride's uh, the end here when she's just like, "Oh, Ron, I guess the plants <laughs> blew up that little dragon. I never got to see him again. Oh well." I mean, what are you going to do? Like, tell the X Men, "Hey, wait, we can't go yeah. home." Even though the plants blowing up in two seconds. There's a little dragon <laughs> that saved my life. Should probably do something <laughs> about that little dragon. But no, certainly <laughs> he he saved himself. So <laughs> yeah, that's never really explained. At least that I saw. He 
uh, yeah, because he, all right, we'll just save it till the end, I guess, when we get to it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is Lockheed, the little purple dragon, like you said. He's, uh, he's still with Kitty Pride today, I read. That he, they didn't yeah. kill him. He's still with her today, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, I think he, I'm sure he's been through all kinds of things over the years. Oh, he? yeah, apparently he's been married and he's got, <laughs> he's got kids. <laughs> but, hey, remember, he was taken to Battle World during the Secret Wars. Kitty was not. But Lockheed yeah, was. Yeah, that's right. And he made the cut. And remember when he came back from there, he took a little dragon with him that he met on Battle World. And then that dragon, it got, when it, it got enormous. Yeah. It was like <laughs> for a Godzilla. Like a, one of those dinosaur sponges put it in water and it grows supersized. Yeah. And there was an issue. I don't even know what issue it was, but do you remember the cover, like Lockheed flying up and like to the dragon, like Dragons in Love, I think was on yeah. the cover, right? You remember that? Yeah. yeah. It was like one, I don't know, 170. Two or something like that, something like no, that. No, one seventy two was uh, Wolverine. Maybe it's one eighty two. Yeah, yeah, it was in the one eighties later. Yeah, you're right. So anyway, Lockheed. I had that, for, I had that ex- issue as like an X Men classic when I was a kid. Um, oh yeah, nice. <laughs> and then I eventually did end up buying the real one later on. All right, Jack. I think that's all the background we need here. So why don't you? Uh, oh yeah, we should mention the Laundras in this, and that's just as we said. She was like the ruler of the Shiar and. Um, what's Professor her, her girlfriend, <laughs> space girlfriend? Whenever I'll anybody goes, "Hey, you got a girlfriend?" He'd be like, "Yeah, she's yeah. in space. You don't know space. her." <laughs> <laughs> I will say, uh, this. sure, Chuck. <laughs> when I read ahead the next issue because I wanted to see how all this ended, and Xavier gets his new body and whatnot, Maura McTaggart mm-hmm. is there. You know? Oh, yeah, and she kind of breaking sweet. It. She was sweet <laughs> on Xavier as well. You know. And Xavier yeah. tries to stand up out of his wheelchair because now he's got functioning legs because he's got this mm-hmm. new body. Because the brood uh, host popped up out of his body or whatever, and he turned into a brood, so they had to give him a new body. I didn't read it. I just flipped through it. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, Maura McTaggart's there. And uh, Xavier, he tries to stand and walk, but his his brain doesn't – he doesn't believe he can walk yet. He, like So he uh-huh. falls. And so they put him back in the uh, the uh, chair there. And uh, Landra is uh, saying they're going to take good care of him with the sweet TLC or whatever. Someone says that. I don't <laughs> But Landra's on one side of him, like uh, kissing him on the cheek. And Moore is on the other side, like playing with his ear or whatever. And it's like, oh. they're going to make three, I think, is what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. They don't have any hangups about that in space. He's Landra's, got functioning, yeah, functioning legs now, too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Women weak in legs. <laughs> Did you learn anything from Rocky? <laughs> but neither lady seems all that uh, jealous or opposed to the idea that both of them will be taking care of Charles. <laughs> and Charles is kind of like blushing, you know, like, oh, yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, well, they'll take shifts, you know, one of them gets them yeah. during the day, the other takes the night. <laughs> but Xavier's getting it done. All right, Jake, uh, why don't you describe the cover for us? Double-sized issue right across the top. With the yeah, double-sized issue. Um, Not not a double-sized cover. They could have done like a gatefold or something, but no, nothing. <laughs> uh, but they got the uh, the corner box there over on the left where it's supposed to be. Uh, we're back to that finally. <laughs> a lot of issues where they would split up on both corners, but now we're back to the normal one. Um, we got all the X-Men here. They couldn't decide. So yeah. let's just get the whole team in this box. Yeah, and they're not just their faces like uh, later they would be. Would, yeah. like, their whole bodies, and they're running out of the box. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's quite the quite oh, the tell, the, 
tell the people who the whole team consists of now because it did fluctuate over the years. So sure. who are we dealing? I uh, guess we got Nightcrawler just hanging there by his tail. Storms flying up in the air there. We got Colossus there just kind of standing around. Uh, Wolverine's kind of running at the camera. Cyclops is doing like a weird girly run. I don't know. He runs like Dave. <laughs> Dave <Michigan. laughs> and then we got Shadowcat back there just kind of. Well, uh, well Kitty Pride. Not Shadowcat yet. Yeah, she wanted to be Shadowcat for, wow, when did she become Shadowcat in X-Men? Was it Excalibur, or was it in X-Men? Oh, no, no, it was way before that. She, It was the Kitty Pride Wolverine miniseries is when she became officially mm. Shadowcat. But I don't know where that fell into the continuity of issues. Uh, yeah. I guess a little bit after this. 190s, I would guess. Yeah. Sounds about right. by the late 180s. Early 190s, I would say. Because by the 200, she was Shadowcat, you know. But, uh, so somewhere in there. But anyway, yeah, she's just Kitty Pride. Bright or Ariel at this point. I don't know. Yeah, she had a couple names. Up. And yeah. uh, the reason why she says uh, Professor Xavier's a jerk at the beginning of 168 is because in 167, after he gets his new body, that issue ends with him telling Kitty Pride, hey, you got, you're no longer in the X-Men. You're joining the New Mutants. <laughs> yep, you're demoted. Because you're, you're too young, you know. And uh, yeah. Yeah, she did not take that well. <laughs> no, but she's basically wearing a New Mutants kind of outfit. Um, yeah, like, which yep, is black. It's <laughs> sad because, like, he, I feel like she's the one character who never really outgrew that the student costume. Like, she's never really oh, had yeah, that's right. a costume that was like, you know, I like, like the shadow cat look. Caliber. Yeah, like the, the blue on blue. Like, yeah. yeah, that was a good look, but it didn't last. Like, they always brought her back to being essentially this costume. Although in this version, she mask. has a little mask, yeah, that covers the top yeah. of her face and her hair sticks out of the bottom of it, which is not a good look. <laughs> no. And the little red lines, like, on the hands and feet, like, I don't like that either. Oh, I didn't even notice this. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, like, stripes. <laughs> it's weird. All right, so, uh, uh, then, uh, yeah. But, itself, there's, like, a green uh, background, and the, the whole team is kind of fighting the brood. Nightcrawler's teleporting and punching one in the face. Colossus is, you know, lifting one up. He's going to powerbomb the shit out of this brood, <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> Cyclops is blasting one of them in, like, the butt, <laughs> it looks like. <laughs> yeah, it looks like that. Uh, Lelandra's got an energy sword, and she's just kind of, like, I don't know, giving orders, I guess. As a queen, she can just command these people to do her fighting for her. Um, <laughs> Kitty Pride has like uh, some kind of a laser blaster that might also be a hair dryer combined with a pot of hand. And she's using that on the brood, shooting him in the face. And one of the brood has Wolverine kind of wrapped up, it looks like, and he's got his claws out. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what. What's going on there? It's biting him in the shoulder. Yeah, like. I, I just noticed that today. Of all these years I've yeah. had this, book, I just noticed <laughs> that that little bird got biting his shoulder. <laughs> that one's all red for some reason. I'm not sure why. It basically is the same distance, and you know everything is the other one in front of him who's not red. So I'm not sure why that one's red. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty solid cover. I like uh, Colossus. Looks great. Um, yeah, Wolverine looks a little flat though, and Cyclops looks a little flat. And his arms, I would have liked to see Paul Smith take another swing at that right arm. <laughs> um, that is, yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, he's got a talent. It looks like I don't know what's going on with his with his <laughs> there. Super stubby. <laughs> when Paul Smith is great, everything is so f- smooth and flowy and just awesome. 
And when he's bad, the arms are stubby and things look flat. <laughs> but uh yeah. yeah. I'm a big big Paul Smith fan though. But a solid cover. I'd buy this book if I saw it. All right. So I mean, I, hey how could you I, not? Yeah, I did buy the book. I saw it and I bought the book. You know. Uh, so I do own this. All right, so uh th- now we open it up and uh there's some narration here. About oh, uh, boy. that was yeah. something Chris Claremont was never short on. Yeah, this is classic Claremont narration. But he's painting the picture. We're basically at uh, some alien world. And uh, would you like to give the background for all this, Jane? Because I don't like space stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, basically, the, they're they're on the Brood's home world. Um, this was a cold, dead world until the Brood punched monstrous geothermal pits down to the core. So I guess the one difference I would say between the brood and like the xenomorphs is the, the brood definitely, uh, well, first off they can talk, which, you know, they don't usually do. Yeah. As that is weird. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're more, I don't know. They're more technologically, you know, efficient. Uh, they're better at using technology. And yeah, guess, like, like that, that hair uh, dryer laser gun kitty has, like those are the weapons I think the brood uses. They yeah, they have yeah. ray guns and everything, so yeah, mm-hmm. they use technology quite a bit. Yeah, they're they're higher, you know, thinking beings, I guess. And uh so they're going after these Acanti. Uh they're they're basically giant space whales that are flying around and they use them as <laughs> starships, like living starships. Yeah. They enslave them and then just travel around in them. Alright, so yeah, uh, let's stop um, here for a second. How do you feel about <laughs> that? <laughs> because when I Giant space whales that are used to spaceships. Right away, I'd I'd normally be out. I'm like, I'm yeah. Out. <laughs> I, I just I'm, I'm, yeah. I like I like punching. I'm not yeah. I'm not into space stuff like this. Especially when the whole issue then becomes like, hey, well, we're all gonna die, but we gotta save these space whales first. We do anything. <laughs> we gotta yeah, save like, the space uh, whales. <laughs> yeah, like the background of this story is weird. It's like uh, these space whales are, like you said, are being enslaved by the brood, and the 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 uh, old school like leader space whale, like the guy they all look up to. Yeah, he was murdered, and the brood are now using his dead carcass as like their headquarters, and they just yeah. Uh, <laughs> live inside it and stuff. So the whole point of this issue is the X-Men are trying, they've all been in, implanted with brood embryos. All the X-Men. Yeah. Wolverine well, has cured himself of his. Yeah. Thanks to the healing factor. It kind of, you know, got him through and it. I, so he's and Carol right. Danvers is also okay because I guess her transformation into binary burned out the embryo or something. Yeah. So yeah. she's, she's fine, but everyone else is going to die. They all, they're all going to turn into birds. Storm, and I don't know. Like she, <laughs> she might die because she uses oh. her power. She says, but I think she's technically right. been cured of her brood. But her body is basically a husk in a cocoon at this point. Kind yeah, of like Jean Grey at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> this whole storm situation is also weird. All right, yeah. wait, where where was I? We'll get into storm here in a second. But yeah, so they want to save to save the giant space whales. They have to go into the brood's headquarters and free the soul of the giant dead space whale. And then that soul will go up into space to a baby space whale who is destined to be like the next leader of the space whales. Yeah, like he's the next, uh, uh, what's the word? He's the next, uh, wow. Uh, what, Tibet. What they what call 
Why, why am I so old? I can't think of what that guy's name. The Dalai Lama. The next Dalai Lama, yeah, basically. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the Pope. <laughs> my, my dad met the Dalai Lama. Wow. Yeah. So he's Where a good guy. Yeah, I said he's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't a D-Gen from a up country? <laughs> no, he's a really nice guy. All right, so anyway, uh, yeah, they wanted to make this next little space well, Dalai Lama. And so, I don't know, that's not a thing I care about, giant space wells. <laughs> no, <laughs> not so much. Yeah, it's hard to uh, get behind that as a as a big plot device. Yeah. Um, and then especially when, I mean... Well, we'll get to it, but I don't know. It becomes a real day of sex machina by the end. <laughs> it just yeah. hears everything. <laughs> yes, it does. All right. But, uh, oh, so at the, at the beginning of this book, like you said, they're in the brood world. And for they call this planet Sleaze World. That's clearly just a nickname, right? Like not an official <laughs> name. I would have to think so. Like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, they are called the brood officially, right? Not the Sleezoids. I know Kitty Pride keeps yeah. calling them that. but Yeah, Kitty just calls them Sleezoids because, you know, she's a teenager and likes funny things. <laughs> but uh, they always refer to the planet as Sleaze World. And then when I, like, yeah, look... Cyclops doesn't. It's yes. weird. Like, yeah, when I looked like... it up on Marvel fandom when I was doing my breed re- brood research, they even have a link to Sleaze World. I'm like, well, that can't be the actual name <laughs> of the planet. But, uh, yeah. I don't... That's weird. Did they let Arcade up here to, like, name things or what? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, uh, the brood have this giant space well, like, uh, captured, and it's on a bunch of, like, spikes and stuff, and they're trying to... Uh, implant uh venom or whatever into his body so oh, the can, slaver virus yeah yeah and so it can enslave them and make the giant space whale their little flying ship and carol danvers comes along and says uh-uh none of that and she just starts yep. beating the hell out of the bird <laughs> just flying through all their buildings smashing shit yeah just blowing up all their ships and everything and yeah. uh then uh, the brood, they're like, oh, man, we're dead. Yeah, she pretty much slaughters everybody, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, just lights everything on fire. And uh, then oh. she sees the giant space whale, and she's like, oh, I, I feel your pain. It's very sad. And uh, it's like, just kill me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The space whale's like, just put me out of my misery. I'm done. <laughs> they put me with that virus. So she's all sad. But, yeah, she she kills the giant space whale. She's like, all right, yep. I'll uh, – Put you down. Isn't this basically like the Star Trek movie where Spock was talking to whales and stuff? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's like <laughs> taking a lot of inspiration. So now, uh, Binary's flying away. She's all sad, you know, because uh, she mm-hmm. had to just murder that space whale. And she's going to get revenge on this brood everywhere they go, you know. But then uh, Storm, she sees Storm just floating in space. She's like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> Doesn't seem right. <laughs> Are you just floating in space, Storm? <laughs> and as you mentioned earlier, they check you couldn't survive this. Yeah, this gets even weirder and worse because Storm yeah. apparently did you understand how any of this happened? But her her brood embryo thing hatched or something, right? And it messed up her body somehow. And, and yeah, she, I'm sure it erupted out of her, and you know, kind of. And like she was like person. floating in space at some point. And now, did these giant space whales, were they the ones that saved her? Or who saved her? The yeah, the baby, the, the chosen one, Dalai Lama space whale, came, came along and saved her and, like, bonded with her. And basically is viewing her as its mother, essentially. 
Yes. Um, and so is now keeping her, you know, her withered husk of a body in a protective cocoon inside of it. And somehow while she's in there, she can astrally project herself. And even though she's an astral projection, she can also still use her mutant powers. But the powers <laughs> come from the body. So yeah. the body is still very weak. So she's worried if she uses her powers, it could totally kill her body. And then she would lose her body forever. So that's another yeah. little conflict going on later in this issue. All right, James. So I'm out on space wells. I am definitely out <laughs> on storm cocoon body and mentally yeah. bonded with a space whale. Like, boy, they were is... really messing with Storm a lot these days. Like, this is, I think, yeah. right around like a couple issues after she became a vampire. It's like, yes, what are we doing? But that is, it is good long term storytelling though, because all these things eventually lead to her new look and everything. Like she, yeah. Know. So that's her transformation was into a punk. <laughs> yeah, because even like Rogue showing up and joining the team, that was another blow to her. So she was taking all these hits, and then boom, yeah. she transformed. So I like that. But, uh, yeah, fighting Dracula and being uh, bonded with a space well aren't exactly what I would do, you know, to get her there. <laughs> but uh, Claremont made some, yeah. choice. made some choices. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's the good thing about Claremont's run is it was always changing. Like, he did keep yeah. mixing things up. So he didn't just, you know, let things stay stagnant. Whether all the airs yeah. were going to be good or not, you know, at least he was trying things. Yeah, the characters evolved, you know, like Storm definitely changed. Wolverine definitely changed. Um, yeah, people oh. would come and go, and yeah, I don't know. It was uh, it was interesting, long-term storytelling. So, all right, back to the story that I hate. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I was disappointed. I, I was looking for something, uh, classic X-Men story. And this was, I did not remember much of this at all. I, the only thing I remembered was that Wolverine wanted to kill everybody. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, even that I'd say you're not you were wrong about because he really doesn't. <laughs> like, he just, yeah, he but he's he's, he's thinking like, it over though. He's thinking it yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. Especially the Cyclops. He's like, I've wanted to do this for a while. <laughs> he did pop the clock. He's ready to go. Yeah. But uh, all right, so Storm invites a binary. She's like, Yeah, I'm a, just an astral projection. Come follow me back to uh, the flying space well there. And they go inside <laughs> the space well, and uh, there's a ship inside the space well. Space well too. That's a Shi'ar ship, right? And that's where they're having their little meetings. And yeah. so Carol, Carol Danvers goes in and she meets everybody, Alondra, Cyclops, Colossus, Kitty, Nightcrawler, and uh, Storm. One thing I like is how Paul Smith is definitely drawing Wolverine height appropriate. He draws yes. <laughs> very small. <laughs> He's that's a petite fella, yeah. <laughs> Shopping in the kids section. So they're trying to talk to everyone. Kitty's freaking out. She's like, you know, we're all going to die. Uh, why are you making jokes and cracking wise to Carol Danvers? Like, we're going to die. You think Kitty would be able to phase out of that embryo, though, right? Like, couldn't she just phase and the embryo fall to the ground? Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> that's a good point. I guess she's not really too skilled with her powers yet. Maybe she can't control yeah, that's, it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And uh, All right. So, but uh, Colossus is true. What kind of shirt is Colossus wearing, by the way? It's like a, it's buttoned on the side of the chest. Maybe it's one of Alandra's shirts. <laughs> Space shirts. Yeah. He's got a lot of pockets on his pants, too. Shorts. He got it at the Sleeve World gift shop. So, so they're just talking about their situation, you know? 
And uh, they're saying, well, yeah, we're all going to die, but what we should do is uh, save them space whales. Yeah, that's just going to die. We might as well do something good, like saving those precious space whales. Let's try to kill as many of them damn brood as we can, you know, make sure they can't do this to anyone else. And uh, and we get a couple pages of Storm uh, just recant, uh, recounting everything that's happened to catch the readers up on everything and uh, talk yeah. about them space whales. And It's almost like they're going to have an argument whether they should go get revenge or save the Acanti, but, like, it, they're both the same, so it doesn't yeah. really matter. Two birds with one stone. Not really times like there, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and how do you feel about Carol Danvers, even when she's not in her fiery form, like now she's just normal flesh colored, not red, bright red skin. Her her hair is yeah. still like pointed straight up in the air. <laughs> she has her hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very unusual. Uh, so yeah, yeah, they're talking things over and old Wolverine though. He's like, uh, well, Cyclops comes up with a, with a plan. He says, uh, storm and Carol, you create a diversion, lead the brood out into space and we will attack their headquarters here, you know, inside the giant carcass of that space whale and then we'll we'll free the space whale's soul because yeah everyone knows how to do that of course how do you even free a dead space whale's soul i have no idea so uh he's like that's what we're going to do and wolverine says hey you know what's like i'd appreciate it if you just let uh danvers and me do the dirty work down on the ground you know because uh Filthy broods. Yes. So you're pretty you much can, all traitors. You know, any minute now, you're going to all betray us. So we should probably yeah. keep you guys away from this. And Cyclops is like, no, no, we're good. <laughs> yeah, they start fighting. And he's like, hey, Wolverine, if you don't want us around, why don't you just kill us? Why don't you just kill us right now and get it over with? And yeah. uh, Wolverine, he's thinking it over and he's like, man, I hate that Cyclops guy. Yeah, he pops his claws. <laughs> And, and Kitty's like, no, 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 no. Come back to life. It'd be nice if Cyclops was dead by then. <laughs> and uh, Kitty Pride's like, no, no, no. Well, if you don't, don't, don't kill Cyclops. He owes me money. And uh, she, <laughs> they talk things over, and they're like, all right, we'll do Cyclops' plan. You know, we'll, uh, yep. we'll do Cyclops' plan. Even though this is a terrible plan, but we're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> So uh, Storm and uh, Carol Danvers, the diversion is they just take that little baby space whale and they fly him real close to the brood and lead him out into space. That's the diversion. Yeah, they buzz the tower, basically, like in Top Gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so while uh, they're all diverted, uh, Lalandra says, all right, we're going to beam us down to the uh, <clears throat> the old uh, dead carcass of the space whale. And you get a little Star Trek joke there from Kitty, like you're beaming us down, Scotty, and all that. Yeah, and, she's laughing. She's giggling her head off. It's not that funny. Yeah. She forgot she's going to die at any second. (laughs) So now we cut down and we see the uh, brood getting ready. And uh, the queen is there. And you can tell the queen because she uh, is a little bit bigger. (laughs) I think that's the only way you can tell. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. We could have tried harder, maybe like a different color. But uh, give her a crown or something. (laughs) And she gets a message from one of her uh, one of her brood broodlings. Pops up in her mind, giving her a little message. And she says, hey, hey, Queenie, it's me, one of your little broodlings. I'm inside that Cyclops guy. Oh, he doesn't say Cyclops. <laughs> yeah, he's just one of them. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm inside of one of them X-Men. And they're coming down to the uh, the planet there to murder everybody. To free that space whale's soul. And uh, the, the queen says, all right, uh, thanks there. 
what I want you to do is yeah, lay low for now. And then when the time is right, make your move, you know. So now we got a mystery. Which one of the X-Men is going to betray them? One of them is going to betray them. So that's pretty good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad. I mean, it ultimately doesn't really matter. <laughs> Could have yeah. been anyone, and it really wouldn't have changed the story any. <laughs> well, I kind of like. Uh, it looked like the X Men might win, you know, and then boom, the betrayal happens, and then they're captured, you know. So you get them captured. But uh, so the Queen. Here's a little uh, decision here by the Queen, though, that seems questionable. She wants to go fight the X Men personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's not played a lot of chess, apparently. Yeah, you want to protect the queen at all costs. You don't want to put her on your front lines. You know? That's what those pawns are for. Just send them out there. Yeah, it really come back to bite her in the ass, I think, later on. But, yeah. Uh, anyway. So, <laughs> queen's motivation is very strange this whole time. Yeah. So we see the X-Men. Uh, they're now beamed down on the planet there. And, uh, there are, like, so, some lower catacombs that apparently even the brood are afraid to, like, go in because well, there's things in there that are more yeah. dangerous than that. And we find out what those things... It's Lockheed! That's who's what those yeah. are more dangerous than the bird. It's the little dragons. The flower dragon. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, I don't know. We see Carol Danvers out in space, and she's fighting the brood and whatnot. That's a great panel of her shooting all that energy into the corner of the panel, and it just blends in and merges to the page. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I like yeah. And... Uh, but the brood, like, overwhelm. Oh, well, we see Storm using her powers, even though they're in space. She's shooting lightning into the brood ships and everything. And uh, Yeah, not sure how that works, but. <laughs> yeah. Not sure either. I feel like she would, you would need an atmosphere to have her be doing anything, but. Uh, Claremont, try, Claremont tries to explain it by, what does he say? Primal natural forces which Storm shapes as a sculptress does her clay. It is in space. The elements are much more powerful than in a planetary atmosphere. The strength required to manipulate them correspondingly greater. Like he just says that as fact, but I don't know if that's scientific. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that science is going to back that up, but you know, if it says it on the page. It must be true. Yeah. So she does it anyway, even though it could destroy your body, but it doesn't. She's all right. All right. So now we see the X Men fighting the Brood. And uh, Kitty gets grabbed by something and she uh, remembers, oh, yeah, I'm a mutant. And she phases and she falls through um, a wall. And now Wolverine is talking to Cyclops and he's like, hey, uh, Cyclops is being even extra jerky. You know, this guy's always a jerk. But now he's a little bit more of a jerk and he's kind of fighting like I do. This doesn't seem like old Scott Summers at all, you know? Yeah. He's a little suspicious. <laughs> I thought they were stealing Gene Gray's purse. But no. Then uh Kitty uh falls into like a through a wall and she lands in like a nest with a bunch of hatched eggs. And then she sees a bunch of uh dead brood, just their skeletons picked clean, you know? She's like, Oh no. Something down here even worse than the brood. And uh, oh we get a little little shot of Lockheed. We don't know it's Lockheed yet, but we get a little shot of his eyeball and one of his teeth. Like, uh oh. Look out. <laughs> Okay. Now we're out in space. Yeah, cool shadow on the wall. That's pretty cool. Now we're out in space, and Carol Danvers, she's just becoming overwhelmed by the brood. There's just too many. Mm -hmm. And uh, they grab her and knock her out and whatnot. Yeah, they're saves... like, using space tentacles to like hold her down. Uh, but then the star jammers show up. Yeah. 
Star Jammers. Uh, yay or nay on the Star Jammers? We touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, for those who don't remember the Star Jammers, Corsair, right? And that's uh, Scott's uh, Cyclops' dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the Star Jammers. I mean, much more than Space Whales, I'll take the Star Jammers over those anyway. Yeah, yeah I don't so, mind the Star Jammers. You got that one yeah. lady who's like a fox. Or no, yeah, squirrel, squirrel, a giant squirrel, right? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I'm not sure what animal she's supposed to be. She's just a furry, basically. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. But her and Corsair, yeah, they're getting it on. And then you got that, like, giant uh, lizard kind of guy, like... Uh, yeah, his name is Chode. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Chode. Yeah, so good. Raza, the guy with, like, the, the swords. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then you had uh, Sikorsky, a little, like, medical robot. Yeah. Yeah, who talks like Yoda, but even worse and more annoying, apparently. <laughs> the words are just in complete random order. They're basically they're just space pirates. They fly around having yeah. adventures. Yeah. Pretty cool. What happened to Cyclops' mom? I don't know. I, I forget all she this. She died <laughs> um, after they were taken prisoner by, you know, Emperor Daken, Lelandra's evil brother. Uh, she died, although she, I think she gave birth to, I think, two different children before that. <laughs> Cause there are other Summers brothers out there. Wait, uh, there, besides just Havoc and Cyclops, there are more? Yes. Yeah, there was a big mystery in the 90s, like that there was a third Summers brother. And, uh, they were setting it up to be this guy <laughs> extreme. Uh, <laughs> Shemp, the third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, they kind of just never did anything with it and then they were like in the 2000s they're like oh it's this guy Vulcan uh, and then they also did this X-Men Legends thing a while ago where they did show that oh yeah it is also extreme too so I don't know she had like multiple children before <laughs> before she died oh. yeah I did not know that uh, yep yeah I'm a, I don't know anything about the X-Men after like 234 or something just nothing. nothing. All right, so now we're cut back to the uh, the brood. Uh, wait, did, where did we end off? Yeah, the Star Dreamers. They come in and save the day. And then uh, the X-Men are fighting the brood. Wolverine's getting stabby with one of them. And uh, then he looks over, and he sees that Scott Summers. And he says, I got to get a whiff of his scent. I don't know, because I think, uh, I think something's screwed. Not right here. Yeah. So he gets, a, he gets a good whiff of him, and he's like, yep, he's a brood. And he just uh, tackles him, and he rips off his visor, and his eyes are brood eyes. Yeah. Pretty cool looking. But in doing ripping off the visor, then the brood eyes just shoot the optic blasts. Boom. And they take out Wolverine and Colossus. And Except then Lelandra says his metamorphosis has given him voluntary control over his optic blasts and a much wider arc of fire. Which they very clearly contradict soon after this when they're like, oh, he can't control it because he doesn't have eyelids. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, cause, cause they do show him standing there with just his eyes and no lasers coming out, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, it seems things get a little sketchy. But yeah, Lalandra and Nightcrawler, like, she comes up to the plant. She's like, hey, you distract him and I'll, uh, cut him with my sword and kill him. You know? That's the this. But then the brood come up behind him and they have their little razor, ray guns and, uh, they zap. That's a nice panel. Um, <laughs> Lalandra and Nightcrawler. So all the X-Men are taken out just like that. Yep. Boom. All done for the count. But for Cyclops, who's now, you know, working with them. Oh, oh and Kitty Pride as well, because she's still running. Because we see uh, yeah. she's down in the catacombs being chased by broods. And uh, she's taking a beating there. 
And again, this is young Kitty Pride, so she's not a master of her powers or anything. So she's trying to survive the best she can. And the brood have her pinned down, and they're about to uh, eat her or whatever. And who saves the day now, Jank? <laughs> oh, we get a sweet shot of Lockheed. Oh, boy, does he look intimidating there. He looks about, like, you know, 10 feet tall. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, just perspective. But he, he starts blasting him with his fire breath and, uh, you know, toasts the hell out of these brood. And then you you get a good shot of him from the side, and it turns out, oh, he's only about, like, you know, two feet long. <laughs> it's very yeah. tiny. Like a cat-sized like dragon. Size. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Kitty's like, I don't believe this. Are you for real? Are you friendly? You must be. I'm still alive. And then more broods are shooting at him. Or at least one brood. One brood is looking mm-hmm. at him. And she's like, hey, 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 little dragon, look out. And she jumps out of the way. But the brood, like, punctures a hole in the wall. And it, the hole just starts glowing. And I think they found the space whale soul. Yeah. Which, I mean, considering the brood have been here, they've made this thing their base. How did they not get in there before? <laughs> uh, I don't know if they, I don't think they even cared, you know? Like, they didn't <laughs> okay. even know, they didn't know the soul. They seem to want it now. Like, they, they're like, oh, if we get that soul, then we can enslave all of them. We don't even have to get them with the slave virus. We can just do it from here. So it seems like they would have wanted to get in there the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I don't, there's a lot in this story that's kind of weird. So. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Kitty and the Brood, they get, uh, like, hypnotized by the glowing light, and they just walk into the, the hole there. But uh, Lockheed stays out. He, uh, he kind of, like, doesn't go in there. Yeah, he, he's no dummy. So now we see the X-Men. They're all uh, shackled up, these giant metal things around their arms. Yeah, these Brood, they know their way around a workshop. <laughs> yeah, they have no opposable digits, but <laughs> where are they Sadly, uh, old brood Cyclops, he uh, doubles over in pain. He's like, ah, my belly. Too much <laughs> chili. And he falls down. And, yeah, now he says, my optic blast, they're out of control. So, and he, like, zaps the queen, right, with his optic blast? And, yeah, right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fine, how do you do? <laughs> so, so Wolverine says, hey, you know what? I got an idea. He yeah. He leaps in front of the optic blasts. And uh, Cyclops, I guess Cyclops is getting control of things here. Oh, maybe that's what happened. That's why he lost control of the optic blast, because, like, the brood was in control, and then Cyclops fought for control. Because Cyclops says, Wolverine, I've killed him. Like, he's sad, you know? But, uh, so I think Cyclops is in control. But Wolverine's think his thought bubble says, Sleezoids don't have eyelids. Scotty can't block the beams now except with his hands. And the embryo's too inexperienced and panicked to think of that. <laughs> Yeah, but I think the embryo was controlling it, right? That's what, but, yeah, that's what Lilandro was saying. Yeah, so what I'm saying is like Scott's now in control, so he uh, it's all confusing. Who cares? Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Wolverine, Wolverine, <laughs> jumps. Wolverine jumps in into the blast and gets his shackles all blown off, as well as you know a couple layers of skin. But he's Wolverine; he'll be all right. Yeah, his mask is gone. His uh, his top is gone, and one of his legs costumes gone. Uh-oh. Thankfully, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thankfully his his crotch still, still yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We don't need full scrot in this issue. <laughs> but he, uh, Cyclops is still fighting for control of things, though. And Wolverine jumps over and just uh, KOs him, punches him in the face, put him, you know, put him down, knock him out. And uh, he was probably going to do that anyway, but yeah. at least now it's a purpose. And then he puts his fist to the uh, woozy queen's head. 
And he's like, hey, broods, put down your guns and I'll just pop my claws and kill your queen. Mm-hmm. I always like when Wolverine does that, you know, threats to pop the claws. Murder somebody. <laughs> yep. Like, yeah. Almost as cool as when he actually does. So they all drop their uh, guns. And then we get a little uh, narration here. It says the X-Men cover Cyclops' eyes with his visor. Well, the shackles are used to bind the brood warriors who are then left behind as our heroes continue on through the catacombs until. So, yeah, things move quick. <laughs> they just that one narration <laughs> box covers a lot of stuff because this is a double sized issue. It doesn't need to be a triple sized issue. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> so they find the portal, the glowing portal thing, and Kitty walks out of it and she's all like uh, like she's reaching Nirvana. She's all peaceful, you know, she's like, mm-hmm. oh, man, I, I think I might be the Dalai Lama now. And they're like, Kitty, what's up? And they're all happy to see her. And I don't know. What does she say? Yeah, here? Colossus picks her up and she starts to giggle. And he's like, oh, thank God, you're still you and not, you know, some kind of hippie. And again, <laughs> so. can we talk briefly about his inappropriate relationship with Kitty Pride? Because uh, Colossus is early 20s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kitty Pride's like 13. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's that's pretty weird. <laughs> I guess you could say Colossus is eight, eighteen, nineteen. If you're really stretching, maybe nineteen, but maybe. Uh, yeah, it's still not good. No, it's not, not, not appropriate. Good. Yeah. I think uh, wasn't it around here where they were in space and she was like she wanted like to lose her virginity to Colossus before they died. <laughs> <I> don't remember. <laughs> yeah, they kiss in uh, like. I was flipping through some issues, you know, just to look at Paul Smith art and they do kiss, I think for the first time in like issue 174, maybe. So, mm. and storm interrupts it, I think, but, um, Mohawk storm. So anyway, what is she saying here just about the soul and everything? And I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I figure I wasn't affected because I'm still fundamentally human. But maybe we better leave the queen outside. Uh, yeah, there's some kind of like, you know, glowing, crystal thing that turns the brood into crystal in there but the queen is like x-men you are flesh of my flesh where you go so shall i like why are they bringing her yes like like they (laughs) show the the team they show the 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 queen like put her arm around lalandra i guess is that to imply that but lalandra has that energy sword right there just cut off the queen's head (laughs) yeah yeah there's a lot here with the queen that just does not make sense Yep, now she wants to be, like, part of the X-Men, I guess. Like, what are you doing? This makes no sense. Like, why is this queen already dead? You know, like, why didn't yeah. they even murder the queen? <laughs> I mean, right. You could end all this now. Why are you taking her into the source of all this power? Like, that could only go badly, probably, in most cases. So they go inside this chamber where it's supposedly the uh, space well soul is, and it's all, like, crystal, and it's all pretty and whatnot. And, uh... Everyone's all amazed and like, oh, this is beautiful. And then Colossus says, hey, hey, look out. Look underneath the queen brood there. She's turning the crystal black, like inky black. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Wolverine's right. like, hey, everybody get out of here before it's too late. And But the, the queen stabs Wolverine right in the back with her uh, two venomous fangs on her tail. Yeah. Wolverine's like, well, I should have. That's my own fault. Should never turn mm-hmm. my back on you or left your fangs intact. It slices them right off. <laughs> yep. So the queen's going to bleed out, right? Like, I mean, that's a, that's a wound you don't recover from. 
But uh, Wolverine picks himself up and he's like, ah, man, that's a lot of venom even for me. I, I might not be able to survive this. But he's like, you know what? Uh, I can't die yet. But now all the X-Men are like, uh, looks like they're giving up to their brood embryos. It looks like they're all starting to hatch or something. Yeah. You know? And he's like, oh, well, guess there's just enough time. Yeah, Kitty's turned into one. Look at that. The little legs are popping out of her. He's like, oh, well, I guess there's just enough time for me to murder them all. So he pops his claws. <laughs> <laughs> but Carol Danvers swoops in, grabs him, and picks him up. And uh, she's like, hey, don't be so fast there, Wolvie. I think I got an idea, you know. And <laughs> how, how does Carol Danvers solve everything, Jack? Oh, boy. Um, Very conveniently, as Wolverine <laughs> and the Queen watch, Carol becomes an eldritch creature of light and fire, a living star. Her celestial radiance reflected and amplified by the Crystal Cavern until finally she's generated enough power to release the Akanti soul. So the soul then goes flying out and it's released. It goes up into space, meets up with the baby space whale, and everything is right. The Akanti are free at last. Got a new Dalai Lama. Yep. <laughs> that cures everything. Like the X-Men are now cured of all their broods. <laughs> the the queen brood is now tur- turned to crystal. Um, Storm's just fine. <laughs> randomly. Like, oh yeah, I am cool. Well, you can't well, yeah, cure me too. Yeah. They go back to the star jammer ship and, uh, somehow the star jammer technology made Storm a new body. Is that what happened? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I think she literally says like, um, <clears throat> let's see. As healthy as I've ever been, kitten, courtesy of the Prophet Singer. The soul of the oh. Prophet Singer restored me as easily as it restored you. So, yeah, just that soul just cured everything. Do you no think problem. that uh, do you think a Prophet Singer could restore my uh, w- willingness to give a damn? Do you think he could do that? <laughs> he could. Think he could bring all those hockey balls you destroyed back to life? <laughs> I doubt that. They're, they're dead. Solid dead. <laughs> But yeah, everyone, uh, Wolverine's healing up. He's all beat up. He's in a sling and whatnot. Or Cyclops is in a sling. Everybody's in slings. They all have separate, separate shoulders. And, uh, but everyone's happy, you know. The, the embryos died. Everyone's back. Uh, the, the brood are dead. Oh, the brood planet blew up too. That's what I want to talk about with Lockheed. Cause, uh, Kitty, oh, yeah. when they're going to beam off the planet, Kitty just looks around and goes, Oh, well, I don't see that little dragon anywhere. And, and someone asked them, like, did they ask her, like, what dragon or something? She goes, Oh, don't worry about it. It's nothing important. What? Come on, <laughs> Kitty. Little Lockheed saved your life. That's nothing important. Don't worry about it. Little dragon. We'll get out of here. So we don't see Lockheed. Uh, we don't see Lockheed again until issue 168. Um, and he saves Kitty. He's in the mansion. Somehow he's in the X mansion. And he saves Kitty because there's some sort of aliens that infested the mansion. And then Lockheed saves Kitty again, burns them all up and everything. And so Professor Xavier lets her keep Lockheed. But there's no explanation of how Lockheed got in the X-Mansion. <laughs> like, ooh. They never no explained that? That's, yeah, that's pretty bad. I didn't read it there in that issue. I don't know when they, like, at least in the panels that were there. I guess the implication is that he stowed away with them off the, but clearly yeah, he did. I could see him being, I could see him getting in the teleport beam and making it onto this ship. But then I guess how did he get, you know, to the X Mansion? Um, did he somehow do that again or find their luggage they, and still away in it? <laughs> but don't we see them teleporting off? I mean, he's not there. Yeah, but he could be behind them or something, you know? But like, what if they see him then when they land on the ship? Like, hey, there's a dragon there. Who who had that little flying dragon? 
So there's a lot of unanswered he, questions. He took off. Yeah. Yeah. About how lucky he got there. But uh, maybe they do explain it eventually. But at least in yeah. the panels I read, they did not explain it. Um, hmm. I don't know. Maybe he can teleport on his own somehow. Yeah, that's possible. No, it's not. He's a dragon. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so everyone's all happy. They're like, hey, we beat the brood, yeah, except for the little dragon that died. No one cares. And uh, But then Wolverine says, hey, not to ruin anything, but, uh, you know, right when we were killing that queen, you know, right before that, she was kind of gloating that uh, there's one more embryo out there. A royal embryo. Yeah. Another queen. And it's going to destroy the Earth. And it's got a, there's only one person it can be in. Professor Charles Xavier. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, the issue ends. Yeah. So next issue, they go back and they just go into the uh, mansion, like ready to fight Xavier because they assume he's been taken. And the new mutants are just like watching TV. And they're like, hey, what's going on? So they, they try to fight the X-Men. The X-Men just mop them up, you know, because they're a little pumped. <laughs> That's good. That's <laughs> yeah. And, but but then they get upstairs to uh, Xavier's study or whatever. And, yeah, he's full on brood, you know. And then he like, <laughs> like he's evil. And then he hatches into the full brood body. And then they beat the hell out of him. And they basically kill him. And but then uh, they put his mind in, into a different body with legs. And yeah, so yeah, that's how that all ends. Very convenient. But there it is, Uncanny X Men one sixty six. Wow, what an adventure! I don't know, Jank. I was uh, kind of disappointed. Kind of disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this it's amazing that this story has had such legs. Like I I feel like I had a book. I've been going through a lot of my old stuff recently and I had these books, like these X-Men books when I was a kid. They were like, you know, like they had taken comic stories and made them into young adult type novels essentially where there'd be oh, one okay. picture chapter or something like that. And uh this was definitely one of them. I remember having it and probably coloring some of those pictures. <laughs> um <laughs> But I think there's also an episode of the X-Men animated series that kind of involved this and the space whales and all that stuff. And yeah, the story has really had a lot of legs for something that really wasn't that good. <laughs> Not that exciting. <laughs> I guess the concept of ripping off aliens and having embryos hatching your body, that's kind of cool, cool, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, the whole space whale stuff, I just, man, I don't know. It doesn't do it for me. Doesn't do it. No, no, it's it's a little too too outside of our reality, I guess. So they kind of loses relatability. So I don't know. Yeah, the writer here, of course, is Chris Claremont, as uh, he did all these, and not his best work, I don't think. Not his best. No, (laughs) no. Again, it's nice to mix it up every once in a while, but yeah, two years of mostly being in space is a little much. Yeah, a little much. All right, so let, let's talk about the art here. Uh, Paul Smith. I love Paul Smith. Now, this issue I don't think is great, Paul Smith, because it's a double-sized issue. You could tell there, especially towards the end, a lot of panels look not so great. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can definitely see that. But I still love Paul Smith. Uh, he was born 1954 in Kansas City, Missouri. Although I guess he was only in Kansas City for three days because his parents <laughs> – his parents lived in Kansas, right next to you know, Missouri there, and they were just visiting, uh, I think, their dad's grandfather at the time, because oh. it was his birthday. And while they were there, his mom went into labor, and she had the baby in the Kansas City hospital, but then they moved back to their normal hometown three days later. 
And then his dad <laughs> the was very in depth research you did here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the origins of Paul Smith. <laughs> Paul Smith. I did. Uh, his dad was like something to do with the, uh, like a naval something or other. So they moved around a lot as, when he was a kid. And he grew up. He loved uh, he liked comic books when he was little, up until about nine years old. And then he thought this is a guy from my own heart because he thought Batman and Superman were stupid. And he uh, he said he grew out of it. He's like, these guys are dumb. Oh. He's nine years old. He's like, comic books stink. So, but then a little bit later, you know, this was, again, he was born in 54. So uh, then when Spider-Man came around, one of his buddies showed him a Spider-Man book. He says, hey, check this out. This is really good. And he read it and goes, yeah, you know what? This is really good. This is way better than that. Yeah. Piece that actually has real, it's like a real person. <laughs> so he loved Spider-Man. He loved Ditko. He was a big Steve Ditko guy. And then from there, he uh, someone showed him the Fantastic Four, and he's like, "Yeah, this is pretty good too." And he's like, "You know what? Comic books don't stink. DC, Marvel's awesome. DC stinks. DC is what stinks. Marvel's awesome." So yeah. he just started loving Marvel, and uh, so then he's back into comic books again, uh, and he started drawing. He is completely self-taught. Wow! Never took That's an art class, good. not one damn art class. He just said everyone draws when they're little. But I just never stopped drawing. I just kept drawing. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's impressive. Yes, it is. <laughs> he was also a fan of Neil Adams a lot. So then he did go oh, into, yeah, he did get back into Batman, I guess, with some Neil Adams. And I could um, see his stuff was more Neil Adams than Steve Ditko, for sure. <laughs> yeah, in a way. But Neil Adams was a lot of lines. Paul Smith is like minimalist with his lines. Very few yeah. lines. That's so true. the reason he got that style, though, even though he liked Neil Adams, is because his first job was he's worked as an animation artist on Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, okay. Like I, I don't know when that came out. Late seven, like seventy nine or so, eighty maybe. 70, I don't know. But he was working as an animation artist, so he just drew a lot. He said they would work like twelve, sixteen hours a day. That's where he learned to focus on form more than line, because that's all you had time for. Was just, and then he would pass it off, and then other people would clean up the line work. But he was just on the form, you know? So yeah. you can see that in his art. Like, it does have that clean animation kind of style to it. Yeah, I could definitely see this being an animated series. Yeah, for sure. So then in the early 80s, he started doing fill-in issues for various titles of Marvel, uh, because, again, he loved Marvel, including an X-Men story in Marvel Fanfare issue 4 in 1982, he also did issue one of the Falcon miniseries. We did an issue of that miniseries here on the show, but I think it was issue three, maybe. So it was <laughs> not the one Paul Smith drew. And, Jank, he did issue 32 of Howard the Duck. So. Oh, right <laughs> after the one we just read. He became the regular artist on Doctor Strange with issue 56 in 1982. And that book at the time was bi-monthly. So he only lasted two issues on there. And then he took the job to do the X-Men because I guess Jim Shooter wanted him on there. And I guess Paul Smith actually I felt bad. You know, I, I just agreed to do Doctor Strange. And now I'm out. But, you know, it's the X-Men. It's the biggest book. Yeah. One of the biggest prestige book at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because at this time, actually, Rob the big John books. Burns. Yeah, the big books were X-Men and Daredevil. Daredevil was like their number one real big book, too, at the time. Because <laughs> oh, of Frank, Frank Miller. Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like Spider-Man was a complete afterthought at this time. Like wow. he was because I read an interview with um, him that was done right before he started on like he just started on X-Men 
and he gave this interview and he says he really wanted to do Spider-Man. And in, in his answer, he's like, people say Spider-Man's a dead character, but no, I think you can still tell stories of Spider-Man. <laughs> it's like, wow. Shit, wow. Man. Yeah, soon they would be doing four books a month. Yep. So, yeah, I'd say there's still Spider-Man stories to be doing. So, yeah, Doctor Strange, two issues. Then he did X-Men, and he did issues 165 through 170. 171 was done by Walt Simonson, and then Smith did issues 172 to 175. And he came back many, he came back years later to do Uncanny X-Men 278. Oh, yeah. I don't, I, I wasn't reading then, so I'll have to go back and look at that one. 78. Um, I have no idea. Oh, that was uh, part of the Mirror Island saga. I think. Okay. Where, uh, yeah, remember when the X-Men came back from space with Professor X, you know, again, <laughs> healed from being in space. <laughs> uh, and uh, they went to Mirror Island because the Shadow King had taken over and was controlling a bunch of people. Uh, yeah, never read those. That's where he ends up getting paralyzed again. <laughs> again. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paul Smith also did X-Men Alpha Flight, uh, that two-issue series. I love that. I don't know if you ever read that, but that was really good. <laughs> Oh, that's really good. And what else? Oh, when he took the X-Men job, he agreed to do it for one year. Yeah, that's all it was. So they knew he was leaving in issue 175. That was going to be his last issue. Okay. And then after that, he he went back to Doctor Strange, and he did seven issues between 65 and 73. Uh, He would do six issues of X-Factor, including it. Between issues like, uh, oh, wait, he did issues 43 through 46, then 48 and 49. Oh, that was like the Judgment War era. Yeah, I wasn't reading that either. Yeah, that wasn't a good time. (laughs) That was like they go into, I think they take, you know, ship, Apocalypse's ship, like up into space, and they're like dealing with the Celestials and all this bullshit. Like, uh, I don't care about the Celestials. No one does. (laughs) He also did work for First Comics, and as I mentioned a couple weeks back, he did a couple issues of American Flag, and he also worked on Nexus and Grimjack, which I'm not familiar with. From 1996 to 99, he did all 13 issues of Leave It to Chance for Image Comics. I don't know what that one is. Never heard of that either. It's kind of, I guess it's some sort of a magic thing, a wizard or something. And uh, I looked at the art with their probability hexes. It's very like, it's very like childlike, uh, like cartoony kind of art, I would say. Yeah, Um, I can see that. I can see that being where his style evolves into. But when I think Paul Smith, though, I think X-Men in this run. It's crazy that it only lasted, what, the 10 issues or whatever. But he pretty memorable. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, the art in this one isn't too – because, you know, just starting out. But if you go back and you look at 72, 73, 74, 75, it is spectacular. It is yeah. so, like, flawless. So Pretty great. Big, big fan of Paul Smith. And, again, just real smooth, few lines as possible. Just so clean is the word I think of when I think of Paul Smith. <laughs> I, I, used, so I used to always say he was my favorite X-Men artist. Um 
then I read this issue, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's some terrible stuff in here. But no, 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 it's all right. I got to focus on the good stuff. Uh, so I don't know who would be your favorite X Men artist, Jank. If uh, you said Jim Lee earlier, you really like Jim yeah, Lee. Yeah, Jim Lee, I really like, and Joe Matarera. Um, I really like those guys. Those I think my one and two right there. But Paul Smith's really great. I, I have nothing bad to say about the man's art. I mean, maybe a couple yeah. of panels here, but <laughs> overall, big fan. I love Burns' time on X Men. Um, Silvestri, like I said, Ramita Jr. had a hell of a run. Sure. So I, that would be my top four. But yeah, depending on what day of the week it is, I guess it could change who I like the best. But uh, I don't know. You can't be can't go wrong with Paul Smith though on X Men. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what do you give this one out of ten, Jank? Claremont was kind of all over the place. <laughs> yeah. This isn't the uh, best Paul Smith. No, um, well, I guess it's still the X-Men, so I don't want to yes. go trash it too much. So yes, I think I'll go right down the middle and give it a five. It's uh, it's kind of middle of the run of, of X-Men. Yeah, I think I was going to initially go higher than that, but I think you're right. It's it's just painfully average in the middle. I don't like space whales. I don't like space adventures. Um. I like some space adventures, but I don't, I don't know. know, just random, you know, it's just a, an evil replicating space race is not the most interesting of villains. There's not a lot of drama there. It's just kind of these things are terrible, evil insects. Like, let's squash them. It's just it's not a very, you know, compelling villain. But I guess the whole embryo is hatching inside them and killing them all is kind of compelling. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's kind of cool. But again, it's kind of like. This works better in aliens when they're just a bunch of space truckers instead of people with superpowers and, you know, weird flying space whales and stuff like that. <laughs> like, it's well, scary also, your normal people instead of, you know, people with superpowers. We also have to put this story in the context of the time as well. Like you said, 1982, we had aliens, but I guess the whole embryos hatching inside bodies is not as done to death as it is in 2023. Yeah. You know? We've seen it so many more times since then that we've probably become numb to it <laughs> but at the time it was probably oh this is cutting edge stuff so it's only been ripped off once yeah <laughs> this is the initial rip off <laughs> so uh yeah i think five out of ten there's definitely better x-men um yeah even, like i said the 150s and 160s is a little weird um <laughs> got a little experimental there yeah they didn't all quite work but I don't know. Um, We've definitely done worse, so I'm oh, yeah. not going to crash it too hard. <laughs> nice to see Wolverine being Wolverine. Yeah. How many times over the years has he thought about murdering the X-Men to save them? You know, <laughs> to, like, put them out of their misery. That seems to be a thing that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'll put them out of their misery to murder them. Because, you know, in the movies, you see, you see him doing it to uh, Fomka Jansen, you know, putting her out of her misery. Yep. You know? yep. Did it to Mariko in the comics, I remember. Oh, uh, he got poisoned, and then he had to kill her. Uh, I don't know if you, if if you ever get like implanted with an alien, Mike Dell, I promise <laughs> I will take you out. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like being an alien. <laughs> no, no. Even if you get a splinter, I'm just gonna be like, nope, time to put him down. <laughs> he had a good oh. run. <laughs> All right. Use your best judgment. Expected. <laughs> yeah, I'll trust you. Trust you. All right, Jack, so next week, what do you got for us? All right, so uh, I I thought about picking an Aliens comic uh, to, you know, 
because we talked so much about the xenomorphs in this episode here. Uh, but instead, I was like, that might be a little too much to do that right after the brood. So yes. I figured I would go with uh, the old enemy there of the xenomorphs. We're going to do Predator number what? one from 1989. <laughs> oh, this is I don't like this at all. Predator. <laughs> this, is, this seems to be cutting corners here. 89 and Predator. Right. Yep, it's it's it counts. Still in 89, so we're cutting it who's in. The, uh, you know, who's the publisher of this? This was a Dark Horse comic. Oh, that's um, nice. We've never done Dark Horse on this that. show. So I, I've been meaning Strict to pick a Dark Horse. Mark Verheiden and Pencils by Chris Warner. Oh, Two uh, luminaries. Yeah, yeah I've, never, I've never heard of them. Never <laughs> yeah, this seems to be a sequel to the movie. Um, but at least this issue seems a lot more like Predator 2, which didn't come out for another year after this. So I'm curious to see what similarities there are between this and Predator 2 and if there was any influence there or not. But All right. Yeah, there you go. Predator issue 1, 1989. That's something I was not expecting. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Threw you a curveball there. <laughs> so, all right. That's next week. And until then, don't get any jank on you.